All right, in, in, in the Bible here, in, uh, I'm, I'm going to be sharing from a, a few scriptures, but the story of Jonathan and David is, is a really un- incredible story. We know the story of, of Jonathan and, and David. We know that Israel, Israel, and we know this from 1 Samuel the 8th chapter. You can read 1 Samuel the 8th chapter, and especially verses 1 through 7. They, they wanted a king to rule and reign over them like all they saw the Egyptians having their wonderful kings reign over them. And they were really well-dressed. They were really well-to-do. They had power. They had money. And those were the ones that wanted, uh, the Jews wanted them, uh, wanted to rule over them a king like Israel. Or in other words, and we know, and like Egypt. And Egypt is a type of a world. And so they had a worldly perspective. And in that, they wanted to have a king. They didn't want Samuel, God's prophet, the one who would give them the word and lead them. They, they didn't want him. And then they said, his sons are, you're old, your sons don't follow you, and so we want another king. And then, of course, what did Samuel do? He turned right to the Lord. He turned to the Lord. He didn't turn to them, you know, and he didn't react against them. And of course, that's what, what any of us would do in the flesh now that we're in Christ. He didn't. He, he turned right to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Samuel, do all that they say because, listen, they have not rejected you. They've rejected me through ruling and reigning over them because he was a prophet. He would give them the word. And we know this. The word has to do with God's will. And that has to do with power. And power has to do with God's glory. They didn't want it. They wanted the glory of the world, that passing, fleeting glory. In 1 John 2.17, the world and its whole system is on its way to passing away. It is already, from the time it was formed, in Genesis, the fourth chapter, verses 16 to 22, from that time on, it's been in a whole process of passing away, while prophecy in and through it is being fulfilled and worked out. So they said, we want a king. So we see here in the ninth chapter of 1 Samuel, they said, that's what they wanted. And then the Lord said unto them, do, do unto them. Do unto them. Give them exactly what they're asking for. <laughs> okay? And so the Lord did. And so in the ninth chapter of 1 Samuel, it says, And now there was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeor, or Zeror, the son of Becherath, of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. Notice that he was a mighty man of power. Verse 2 says, and he had a son whose name was Saul. He was a choice young man and goodly, a real good-looking man. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he, for from his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people. I mean, he was tall, tall, dark, tall, Dark and handsome. <laughs> now, I think it's very interesting when we look at when God, the very Son of God, coming out with deity, obviously in John 1 and verse 1, he was made the word flesh 
and he dwelt among us, and that's John 1, verse 14. But in prophecy, it says in Isaiah 53 and verse 2, that when he would come, that king, that prophet, our Savior, our precious Lord, there would be no, nothing in him, no form or, or good looks that we would desire him. It was the opposite. He was not, a, a, and God did that. And that's why they said, well, the word became flesh. He put on a human body. He tabernacled. God the Son tabernacled in like bodies like us. And that's why the Bible teaches he had a human nature. He didn't, never had a sin nature. Never did. But. And then it says, but when they viewed him, they saw him, they saw what? They saw that he was filled up with all the, the glory and grace and truth of God. They didn't just see a man. And you can see that even in 1 John th- uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. But here, they wanted him as a king. And then in that whole situation, there was obviously Jonathan and David. Jonathan was Saul's son, and they were very, very close, him and David. And we can see that all through uh, the scriptures here as you follow it all through in, in 1 Samuel, in the book of uh, Samuel, uh, the two uh, books, and then in the two books of the Chronicles. And the Chronicles, they chronicle all the kings and things that happen during those times. That's the Chronicles. They count up and number them all. But we know that Jonathan and David, they had this really awesome, sweet relationship They had this relationship. And so, but we know what what was Saul the whole time. God was in the process of raising up David. Who was David? He was small. He wasn't that big in stature. And he was just a little shepherd boy. That's all he was. He was this little shepherd boy. And we can see that again when you look through these two... uh, Places in the Word of God, First and Second Samuel, we'll see that. And so we see again that that Jonathan, all through this, these scriptures, really, he he he, everything about their friendship meant for each other. They had a love for each other. That was amazing and very very beautiful. Now Jonathan was the supposed the next one in line to be king. He was the next one in line to be king, but we see what he did. He gave him everything. Jonathan gave David everything because he saw in him, he saw in him a man of God with with tremendous love. Just an incredible love that he had. And so when we look at this, when we look at all these scriptures, we see it all the way through here in in these particular scriptures, again, that, that Jonathan, at one point, he gave his all. He gave everything to David. He handed over everything to him. And he didn't hold back anything. And that's what true friends do. They don't hold back anything. Uh, and actually, again, that's, that's fulfilling Philippians 2 and verse 3. Esteem, esteem others better than yourselves. Um, And in Philippians 2, verse 4, look not on your own things, but on the things of others. Because in Philippians 2 and verse 21, all seek their own, not the things of Christ. And if they're Christ, we 
esteem one another better than ourselves in terms of honor in, in Ephesians 5 and verse 21. And so by the time we get to, to 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter, and there's a lot that happens in between there that we, can't, we won't go over completely today, but let's look at 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And that's a beautiful principle. The principle of that is that the souls of believers, now that we are in Christ, in Colossians 2 and verse 2, it's sumbi bazo in the Greek. We are knit together as one. Meaning we care for others. Our whole life is, is caring for others. And as we care for others, put them first, God will take care of us. That's what the scriptures bring out very, very clearly. Very clearly. And his soul was knit with Don, Jonathan. And look, Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, Jonathan's father, King Saul, and would not let him not go anymore to his own father's house, Jesse, Jesse's, which was David's father. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant. They made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him, meaning he was next in line for, to be king, but he did not put himself ahead in anything ahead of David because he loved him as his own soul. And it's so amazing. And it's very indicative, too, when we understand the types in terms of God the Father and God the Son, the Father giving us his Son. But here, he loved them as his own soul and stripped himself of the robe. This is a beautiful picture we see in the type in John, the 13th chapter, when Jesus took off his robes, his, his, his kingly rule, and, and put on him, put on him the, a... a servant's garment, a towel, low, and, and uh, lowered himself to wash, uh, obviously, the disciples' feet that he had won. He stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David. Can you imagine that? What would that be like if, if we were Christians? Everything about our life, no matter what it was, gave it to David and his garment, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. That, that is, that held everything in its proper place. He just gave it all to David. And David went out wherever Saul sent him, and he be, behaved himself wisely, really meaning he prospered because God was his view. The word of God was his wisdom. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass, as, as they came, when David retu was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the woman came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets and joy and with instruments, instruments of music. And the woman answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Ooh. We'll find out this. There is no comparison. There is no jealousy. There is no suspicion in love. 
And Saul was very wroth. He was very, very angry. And the saying displeased him. It displeased him. And really, in his eyes, the Hebrew says it was evil. He perceived it was evil in his eyes that they were doing that. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me only thousands. And what, what can he have more but the kingdom? I'm going to be afraid he's going to take my place. He's going to take my place. And Saul eyed David from that day forward. Now, Deuteronomy 28 verse 54 says, it speaks about the evil eye. This is what it speaks about. Because remember, his eye, really, the Hebrew says, from that day forward was evil towards David. Verse 10, it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon him, came upon Saul, and he prophesied. Notice it came upon him. Many will teach that Saul wasn't, you know, he wasn't born again and all, you know, he wasn't saved. Of course he was. I believe that he was, and many others. And he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand, as at other times, obviously. He, was, he played the harp, a very beautiful instrument. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it's just really beautiful. And while he was doing that, there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will, smi- I will kill David I will pierce him through even to the wall. And of course, we know before it's a physical action, it's a thought, and they become words. Just like today, we may not cast physical javelins, but we can cast some pretty bad words. (laughs) And if if they're not of grace and of God's love, then they're corrupt in Ephesians 4 and verse 39. They lack the salt which preserves and keeps alive and keeps, keeps healthy in, in Colossians 4 and verse 6. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Don't blame him. And Saul was afraid of David. Why? Because the Lord was with him and departed from Saul. See it all the way through. You, 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 you see it all the way through here in the scriptures. But, and I'm getting to this point because remember the covenant that Jonathan and David had. They had a covenant. Jonathan and David and David and Jonathan loved each other like they had one soul. Literally. They didn't think about themselves They couldn't without the other, and the other without the other. It's very interesting. They were knit, just like God has done with us in the body of Christ in Colossians 2, verse 2, as we said. Soul of David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 3, were knit together. They were knit together. There was no suspicion. There was never any irritation, because obviously there's never any irritation in grace, and there's never suspicion in love. Why? Because they loved each other with the love of God for each other and esteemed each other better than themselves. It's so amazing. What a life of freedom that is. It's a beautiful life, isn't it? And so then there was many warfares, and we know in these warfares we know 
what happened. So by the time we even get to 1 Samuel, the 31st chapter, we're going over, skipping over a lot of different things that we just don't have the time <laughs> to get into in one particular time. But in 1 Samuel 31, verse 1, it says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain, wounded, slain, in the Mount of Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan. They killed David, the one who he was one with. And Abba Adab and Malchashua, Saul's sons, his three sons. And the battle went sore against Saul. And the archers hit him, shot him with arrows. And he was sore wounded of the archers. Then Saul said unto his armor bearer, Draw your, sh- your sword and thrust these, thrust, thrust these uncircumcised, come and, and lest these, lest they come and kill me, kill me with my own sword, so that they don't abuse me, so they don't take advantage and, and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it and killed himself. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men that same day. That same day. So he followed all the way through. And then you see, and by the time we get to 2 Samuel, the first chapter, we see that there. That 2 Samuel, the first chapter, we follow that through there. All the way through to it. And you see how, how David felt about him. You know, how David felt. He said in 1 Samuel 1, and this is what he said in verse 20, 2 Samuel 1, verse 23, he said, Saul and Jonathan were lovely and present and pleasant in their eyes. That's how we saw him. And of course, for us, we don't know one another after the flesh in 2 Corinthians 5, 16. Behold, old things are passed away. They're not in the process of passing away. All that's passing away in us is what we're not of Christ. <laughs> that's what's passing away. So we don't know one another after that. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, and again, which, which Christ said in uh, Revelations 21 and verse 5, he makes all things new. So here... He's, that's how David saw him. And in their death, they were not divided. Even though <laughs> at times they were in the flesh, but not in the spirit. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. You, you daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with other delights, and who put on garments of gold upon your apparel. And these are all symbolic of him ruling and reigning and what he would give to them. Verse 25, how are the mighty fallen in the midst of battle? O Jonathan, you were slain in the high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been unto me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of a woman. At this particular time, it was such an intense thing because he was so one with him. He was so one with him. And it's quite a story when you have the time Uh, to read it through, to read it all the way through. But he made that covenant. He made that covenant with him. And so by the time we get here to 2 Samuel, the fourth chapter, 
listen to this in Second Samuel, the fourth chapter, and this is what we're getting to. This is what I was kidding a couple of guys about yesterday, calling them a, by a certain name, which we all are. And when Saul's son heard that Abner was dead in Hebron, his hands were, 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 were feeble, and all the Israelites were troubled. And Saul's son had two men that were captains of the battle. It goes all the way on here. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son, listen, that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings of Saul and Jonathan came out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. It came to pass, he made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. And we see it all the way down through here. And there's so many places we have to skip over to, to get to the point here. But, but David was looking, and, and because, of the, because of that particular covenant that he had made with Jonathan, Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. And he made that covenant, and because Mephibosheth was his son, with, with his son, and lame, he inquired, he said, is there, any, uh, is there anyone of Jonathan's house, of his house, that I might take care of? And so we see that, that he did. We see it in the scriptures here. We just read it in 1 Samuel 31, 1 through 6. And it's very interesting what his name means. It can mean two things because there's only two other places there's only two places in the scriptures where that's mentioned. Second uh, Samuel 21, verse 8, there's Mephibosheth, and it's a son of Rizpah, but it was Saul's concubine and the daughter of Aya. But he was given over because he wasn't that good. Because that name at that particular time has to do with the utterance of Baal, speaking evil from, <laughs> from that that's not of God, and that as a result, that name would mean destroying shame. Destroying shame. But here, when we talk about Jonathan, the son of Jonathan, Mephibosheth, okay, his son, because Jonathan was so after God, he produced Mephibosheth, and he was a striver against Baal, against evil. Psalm 97, verse 10, All you that love, love God, Return his love. You hate evil, it says. So we see that. And also, it means really, we'll, we'll see it here, but we see that brought out in 2 Samuel, the fourth chapter, in the fourth verse, right? Then in 2 Samuel 9, we're gonna, we'll see that. In 2 Samuel 9, and uh, I believe it's 6, oh, let's see, 6 to 13, Something like that. Where we're going to follow this through in this battle, right? And, all, and obviously in verse 12, it's, we're always to be of good courage in the midst of the, of the spiritual warfare, to, to be of good courage and, and so forth. And we see that all the way through the, the family line. We're going to see that. And then in 16, we get to 2 Samuel 16.
And this is really what we want to get to. In 1 Samuel 16 and verse 5, it says this, And when, when King David came to, to Bahurim, behold, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth, and he cursed still as he came. He was cursing David, right? And he cast stones at David and all the servants of King David. And all the king and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Then, thus came Shimei, and he came out, and he said, you bloody man. Now he was, because he was a man of war. Man of war, if you do a study in Isagogics, you know that in many of these battles, when David battled, at the end, you, he would have to have someone peel his fingers and his hands off that sword. Because <laughs> he was doing such battle and he was and there was a lot of blood, blood a lot of bloodshed to David and that's what he was accusing him and some of his family members and those that were killed as a result of these wars and you men of Belial and the Lord returned upon you. and he goes into all of these particular things here all of them and his cursing but see by the time we get to the 19th and we'll get to these types and they're really really beautiful uh, 19, we're going to see in 2 Samuel 19, verse uh, 24, and we're going to, we know that he had already taken Mephibosheth to be in his house, David. He said, is there any left? And they said, yeah, there's one son. He's lame. He said, bring him here. And he ate at the king's table. And David took care of him. And he didn't lack for a single thing. Still lame in his feet, he couldn't walk, but he was completely taken care of uh, by David. Then there was an absence when the king was fleeing for his life <laughs> because of Absalom, his son, who went against him and caused a conspiracy and a rebellion to the point where they were seeking his life. And that's when, of course, in 1 Samuel uh, 22, he was in those caves and, and, and running for his life from Saul, and then obviously then too from Absalom. But here, there's an absence when King David is away, where he, Mephibosheth, is actually now at this point living in poverty. <laughs> He's back to poverty. But the thing about it is, is this. Again, he was only, we just read, he was five years old. He was five years old when when his nursemaid was running with him to save his life right? and then she, in, in battle to flee it, and, and he fell. And that's why he was lame in both, the, excuse me, in both of their legs during that battle where Jonathan and, and Saul were, were killed. And, uh, but she was in her haste, and normally when we're in our haste and we run, and we don't trust God in the midst of spiritual battle, some things can happen. And that's what happened to, to the child uh, fell. And for the rest of his life, the rest of his life, he was lame in both feet, couldn't walk. But here's the thing that God wants us to see here. And this is why I was having some fun with a couple of guys yesterday and, and saying that we are all the same. Because that's who we are. We are his Mephibosheths, all of us, in the type. Because we do belong. He, he did, even as a baby, he belonged to the royal line. 
from Saul to Jonathan and being Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. But there can be a fall. (laughs) There can be a fall. And for us, obviously, it can never be positionally. But experientially, there can be a fall when there's haste, when there's not any patience. And, and of course, we know that in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient. Really, it's enduring. That's the proper word. It holds out long. It can endure much suffering. It can. And without... And then live in macrothumia, even when evil people, even when people are evil against you in the world, and even though you may be misunderstood by others in the body of Christ, you still are able to bear up under and love them without any anger. Because we know in Ephesians 4 and verse 26, it says, be angry and sin not. How are you going to do that? Well, you can be angry. You can be angry, but still function in love towards others. Because it benefits, it's the anger of the flesh. Then that is a place that's giving place to the devil in Ephesians 4, verse 27. And in the body of Christ, when we don't bear up in the patience of love, because we're going to bang against each other. Surprise, surprise. And we're going to grow till we see Christ face to face. No matter how mature we are in the Word, doesn't matter, or in our growth, that we're going to bang against each other. We've always given, and the Word gives us this, we are a bunch of sharp stones. He puts us in a local assembly, and then God shakes that bag, and they begin to bang against each other. And we bang off those sharp little areas those pointed, sharp little areas and get polished so that each stone now fits in its proper place. This is local assemblies, what it's talking about. That's why it's, I, again and again and again, local assemblies the, is the place of protection for us. It is. But again, when it says that, it don't give place to the devil in your relationships, because if you follow Ephesians 4, verse 27, because this is what Saul was towards David. He had an evil eye. He thought evil towards him. That he wasn't being angry and not sinning. He was being angry and sin, and it was evil. And he sought to kill the servant of God, David, that God was raising up. I don't know, was David perfect? <laughs> you know, you think about it. We've, we've shared this before. Think about what kind of hiring skills that you would have. Did God foreknow, and there's no excuse for sin, and we're never to make an excuse for it. You know, God's intense, beautiful, intense, beautiful, intimate love for us will never allow us to make an excuse, honestly, for failure. Never. Never will. But do you think that before God called David that, you, that he knew that he would kill his best friend to cover up having a relationship with his wife? Do you think God knew that beforehand? Boy, how we would treat each other. What we would truly think about each other. I think that's a lot of times why we need time alone with God because he can deal with us. He can deal with me. In his love. Right? In his love. He, He will deal with us. But what were the hiring skills when he knew about Moses, Dave? All the, you name anybody that God ever used in any way. <laughs> the call didn't have to do with them and even their growth. 
by the way. It just didn't. And we're all going to grow. All of us are going to continue to grow together. But thank God, the Bible makes it crystal clear that in Christ we are knit together positionally. He has to work that into us experientially. You know, Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they that love your word, and nothing will offend you. Nothing will cause you to stumble. Not in his love. And not when we esteem others better than ourselves. There's no offense there. There's nothing in love. And there's no suspicion in love. There's never any irritation in grace. That's why we say, because love without suspicion flows through grace where there is no irritation. <laughs> and we forgive it by grace. Ephesians 4 verse 26 uh, verse 27, be, uh, be, uh, 26 is be angry and sin not, neither give place to the devil, right? What is that place that we would give? Because that's local assembly. That's what it's talking about in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We can't take that out of context. The context is body life. Be angry, but don't sin. Because if you do, you give place to the devil. What is that place? Ephesians 4, verse 32, forgive. Why can we forgive? It's different than kingdom age. It's different than millennial kingdom age teaching in Matthew 6 and verse 14. If you forgive, you, yep, my Father in heaven will forgive you, but if you don't, you won't be. It's different with us. We are forgiven. So what's the device of Satan? To keep that, to stop that grace through which love flows through from flowing. It's a lack of forgiveness. It's being occupied with anything other than love. <laughs> and just maybe, for any of us, honestly, but just maybe, we may not know certain things like we think we do. And maybe the teaching or the word comes against that, not against the person, but a what, about what they perceive to be what they think they know. <laughs> and that's why God has given us Perfect vessels? No. Perfect vessels? No. But the message is always perfect, and that message grows in that vessel that gives it. It's never, it's never any other way. Never any other way. So, in this type, in this type, and, and remember, in 1 Corinthians 2.11, we're not to be ignorant of the, as Satan's device. The greatest device that he has in the body of Christ is a lack of forgiveness. It's holding someone hostage from love. <laughs> you can, you'll love me, God, and you'll give me grace, but that person, didn't, that person failed. They're not getting that from me. Ah, uh, no. Meantime, you leave God out of your own, and I would leave God out of my own experience. He's not enough in the forgiveness for others, but more than enough for me. It's like the guy that looked in the mirror when he was really old and wanted young ones, but he saw this young guy. <laughs> mirror, mirror on the wall. And I look, I know. I'm not the fairest of all. But I am in him. I am in him. In Song of Solomon 4 and verse 7, you're all fair, my love. There's no spot in you. And we see a lot here. So what we see here is that Mephibosheth, in 2 Samuel, the fourth chapter, in the fourth verse, he 
was of the royal line. We have royalty because of Christ. He's our king. And he's our king. And he's made us priests and kings in, in Revelations 5 and verse 10. He's, he's made us priests in a kingdom. A kingdom, a kingdom of priests he's made. That's what he's made. A kingdom of priests. And that is in 2 Samuel 4 and verse 4. But you know, the whole time, even as a king, he was living in exile. This Mephibosheth, in exile. But he was remembered by David because of a covenant that he had made with his father, Jonathan. We see that again in 1 Samuel 20 and verse 14 and 15 and 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 3 and 4. And then we also see that he was called into the king's presence and exalted because of the merits of another. <laughs> That's us in Christ. Because of the merits of Jonathan and David in that exchange that they had, that they had, that Mephibosheth was brought into his presence because of that relationship. And just like you and I, because of the relationship that we have based upon God the Father and God the Son, Based upon that, we've been brought into a royal line. And even though in t- at time in exile in this world system, because they didn't know Christ, they hated him in John 15, 18. They hated him without a cause in John 15, 25. They're going to hate us without a cause. There's no cause in them. Because Jesus in John 15, verse 22, he's done away with every excuse or every cloak. In other words, even for us, he's done away with every excuse why we can't live in the forgiveness of God's love for ourselves and for others. (laughs) There's no excuse. There's just a cloak, and that cloak is a lie that, that functions in lies, and lies function through what? Through pride. Through pride, and God forbid. Well, he was called into the king's presence and exalted, we said, because of the merits of another. We saw that, and we see it in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 5 and 7. We see it very clearly in the Scriptures. He was given. He didn't earn it himself, but he was given a glorious heritage because he was born into it, just like you and I are. We see that in type in 2, Kings, in 2 Samuel 9 and verse 9. That truth is brought out. Now, remember we said, and this is where it happened in 2 Samuel, the 19th chapter, those first 24 verses there. He lived a life of self-denial in the king's absence. How do we live? Tell me what thing, when we esteem ourselves better than others in the body of Christ, when we live, will we keep back a single thing for ourselves? In self-denial? Nope. It's us first. Then the things of God. I take care of all these things first, all of those. Then the things of God. No, I've got to take care of all these things. And until I do, then I can do these things. That's the opposite of God's order, the order of his love. This guy, this who is lame. Talk about lame. And remember what he said to Peter. He said a couple of things to Peter. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one. he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired that he may sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. 
not if, but when you're converted, then you will strengthen, then, then, and then only then will you strengthen the brethren. That's the only time you're going to be able to do that. And how do we strengthen the brethren? Remember what he told Peter after he told him to feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep? In John 21, 15 to 17, was an answer to him when Jesus told him, when he said, Peter told Jesus, everyone else may die. <laughs> well, he thought a lot of himself, didn't he? Anyone else may deny you, but not me. And Jesus said to him in John 13, 38, you're going to hear the rooster. You will deny me three times before it even crows. You'll see, you'll see how much you love me by how you love others. How much my love has a place in you by how you can forgive, you know, just like I forgive you <laughs> when you confess it in 1 John 1, 9. Very interesting. But he lived a life of complete self-denial. Again, that's Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. God Almighty, that's a beautiful picture in John, the 13th chapter. Look at those 35 verses there in John. That's a servant. He's not occupied, not occupied with himself. But, but Mephibosheth, he lived in self-denial during the whole king's absence. He's in us. We're soon to see him in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, face to face. But right now, what kind of a life do we live? If we're living it for others, it's called self-denial. Because self cannot function, cannot receive, cannot give God's love. And in the body of Christ, it's called forgiveness. Because that is the confirmation of God's love. It's forgiveness. We're going to fail. We're going to fail each other. We are. We're going to fail. But his love, what? Never what? In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, his love never fails. What was he also? Mephibosheth, just like us. He was subject to persecution and slander. God forbid that should be in the body of Christ with members towards one another. God forbid that we should, be, that we should bite and be bitten and devour one another in Galatians 5 and verse 15. You know, that starts in a thought life. That's where that stuff begins. That's when it begins. It's a thought life that enters into a, a corrupt communication. Hopefully the thought life is dealt with for all of us, right? And we make those grace adjustments. So as we begin to close this morning, we see that he was subject to persecution and slander. You know, for us, it says in 2 Timothy 3.12, all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a badge of honor. They hated Jesus without a cause. And hopefully, instead of suffering for sin, we suffer for him and his afflictions that are being meted out to us because it's, it's, we're not only called to believe on him, trust him for everything. We're going to see power. What do we see tomorrow? Power. It's so amazing, so humbling, and so incredible tomorrow morning. But we're not only called to believe on him, to trust him fervently for everything. My God, do we trust him for our whole future? We don't trust him for things in time. So we have to live in self-denial. No, we live in, we deny anything but self when we think of each other first, ourselves first. But also to suffer for his sake in Philippians 1 and verse 29, 
in 2 Timothy 2.12, Romans 8.18, in Colossians 1 and verse 24, we fill up. And all those afflictions in 1 Thessalonians 3.3 are measured by love and wisdom. And nothing takes us by surprise where we don't have something to bear us up to pass through it in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. We go through the same things that unsaved do, sometimes worse, but same like the details of life. What's different than the unsaved then for us? And we can't bear up under them? Can't trust God for them? So I got to put me first and then everybody else next. God. He was subject to, to persecution and slander. See that in 2 Samuel 16, verse 3. In 2 Samuel 19, and verse 27. Finally, we, finally this. This is 2 Samuel 19, and verse 30. This is what I love. He rejoiced at the return of the king. Listen to this. This little guy who was lame on both feet. Remember those three answers? To Peter's denial of him, he answered, you know what, Peter? I'm going to meet you on the shore. And I, in your backslidden state, I'm going to recommission you. And you're going to feed my lambs, you're going to feed my sheep, and you're going to feed my sheep. And you know how? Because I'm going to carry you in 2118. Because you're too lame to walk by yourself. There's nothing in you apart... And there's nothing in any of us apart from Christ that enables us to have a proper walk. We're too lame. We've fallen. We've fallen. And we're too lame. And we're like, we're like these Mephibosheths, these little Mephibosheths. But he rejoiced at the return of David the king. He rejoiced in 2 Samuel 19.30. And he cared, listen, oh God, he cared little for material things. He cared little for material things, and those are even the details of life. Now, I have to make sure I have a place to live, bills to pay. I have to have all of those first before I seek the kingdom, God's people. Really? Well, you know what would cause that in Matthew, the sixth chapter? The lack of a prayer life depending on him in intimacy and letting his word be counsel flowing in me and through me to others. I will be anxious about everything. The anxiety is the care for self-occupation and self-preservation. And then when I'm taken care of, then I'll obey. Wow. He rejoiced at the return of the king. That's Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice. And again I say rejoice. You know what it means to rejoice? It means we relax and rest in the presence of his love and we have great joy and because he he rejoiced at the return of his king in this type David we're going to return with the king in revelations 19 11 to 16 we're going to return with him when he sets up his kingdom we're going to he cared little for material things and there's where we care most when we don't care about God's people Remember what he said? Do you remember as we close this morning? Do you remember when he was Saul and he was persecuting the church? Remember? He wasn't caring for the church. And what did Jesus say? The heavenly Christ. What did he say to, to Saul? Saul, Saul, why do you what? Why are you persecuting me? 
Well, who was Saul living for at that time? He was living for himself. He cared little for God's people. God forbid that we should, in our local assembly, ever be that way. You cannot, in our love, in our love, and I'm talking love now, you cannot outgive God's love. You can't do it. You cannot do it. You can't do it. You can't outgive him. You can't. He has, he has all the gold and silver, things of the self-life, all the gold and silver in Haggai 2.8 is his. It's It's all his. But if he gives it to us, and that's love too. Again, I'm talking about love. Gold and silver. Gold is the deity of Christ. Silver is the redemptive love. And all those precious stones are bringing out the beauty of all of his, his nature, character, and essence in his attributes. And Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He rejoiced at the king when he finally came back. And we're going to see him. We're going to see him. Soon we'll see him face to face. And Father, thank you so much for the teaching and preaching of your word in such a sweet story, God. Such a beautiful story how you bring out the preciousness of your love and how it, how it operates between two people. And how much more do we have in the reality of Christ, his person, our heavenly Christ, far more than Jonathan and David ever had. We have much greater riches than they ever had. Being his heavenly, his heavenly people. And Father, thank you so much for your love and the faithfulness and that your love never fails us. And God forbid that we should ever stop receiving your love for ourselves and for others. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.